Now this week's been a really big week for me, and a really big week in many ways. It's been a real busy week, and life's always busy, but this week particularly, there's been a lot of things that I've had to think about, and on top of that, it's a big personal week for me. Uh, So uh, today is my uh, beautiful wife Fiona's birthday today, which is amazing. And so that comes, that comes hot off the heels of our anniversary, which was on uh, the 10th. I think it was Wednesday night and Thursday night. Yep, it was Thursday night. It's the 10th still. That's the date. And uh, we've been married now for 21 years. And, oh, cheeky. Okay. So that was us 20 years ago, first kiss. Maybe second or third. I don't know. Fingers and toes stuff. But... Um, We've been married for 21 years, and, and when, we were, when we were kind of going out, the, before we were going out, I desperately, I saw her, and I desperately wanted her to see me. So I wanted her to, to, to notice me. And so, so, so Fiona's got a, a bit of a gymnastics background, and, you know, local champion and things like that, and won some awards in gymnastics. And, and I had my mate Steve, I, I sort of got the courage to go, let's go, and, let's go and watch her do her gymnastics kind of training. And uh, so we went to the local Papatoi uh, gymnastics uh, place. Coaching, she was coaching. Sorry, she was coaching by the stage. She'd won all the awards, and now she's coaching. And uh, I never really know. I, I embellish some of these stories, and some I don't. But I went to watch her. My mate Steve was with me, and he's pointing out, which one is she? And I'm like, she's that one over there with the tiny little blue shorts on. And I remember looking and going, that's the one. And as much as I thought that I was looking at her, I really wanted her to look at me. I wanted her to notice me. Like I wanted to be seen by her. Because I, I thought that she was awesome. I didn't know how awesome, but I thought there's potential for awesomeness there. And I feel like I'm the person to bring that out of her. And so that's how I felt at the time. I'm awesome and she's awesome. And together, like, you look at our children. Amazing. Like, I just think but we are meant to reproduce the two of us. It's just these super children that we're creating. It's the most phenomenal thing. If you know my children, you go, he's right. He's right. But I desperately wanted to be seen by feet. I desperately wanted her to notice me, and hopefully one day we get married, and we did. But it's like that with my children too. I've got three boys, uh, Zane, Seth, and Abe, they're 14, 12, and 7. And if if you're a parent or you kind of have ever raised kids or you've got maybe younger siblings, this is something that they do. Dad, 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 dad. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to do a backflip on the tram. Watch this. And then they're kind of like, bounce, bounce. And I'm like, hurry up, how long is it going to take? And they do the backflip. And sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't. But you always tell them you see it. Oh, that's amazing, son. You're the best backflipper in the whole town. You're amazing. But kids want you to, as parents, they want you to see the things that they do. They love being seen by a parent. Watch this, watch this, do this, do that. Everything. We throw frisbees. And they're like, this around the back and this. And today my son plays some ultimate and all this. And they're like, watch this, watch this. Oh, let me see you do this. But kids really want to be seen by your parent. And the great thing you can do as a parent is to go, wow, that was amazing what you did. That's so awesome. Hey, continue to do that. Hey, maybe you could try this. Maybe you could try that. But kids want to do that. I think we all want to be seen by somebody. Right? We all want to be seen by somebody. Now, the challenge is I love the series, as Pastor Sam's told us. We're in a series called Big, called Go Big. I've stuffed it up the whole time. I don't know, big God, and then out south, they're like, no, it's Go Big. And I'm like, go big with God. And anyway, but it's God is big, and that's the series, and we're going to carry on. 
but we want to be seen by somebody. The challenge is not to be seen. I think being seen is cool. You're never going to tell your kids, oh, kids, don't just do it for dad's affirmation. Do it for God's affirmation. You know, no one's going to tell their kids that because they don't really understand these concepts yet. Right? But, but kids desperately want to be seen by their parents. It's a really healthy thing to want to do. The problem, if you're watching online, the problem for you people streaming in online, and sometimes all of us, is that when that sort of steps a bit too far, because society's kind of changed the whole scene thing. And now, now it's not about being seen by like a person to encourage them. It's like, no, did you, do you see me now? Here's a photo that I posted yesterday of me at the gym. Now, see if you can notice this, right? What? Now, anybody, anybody who goes to the gym will know how much weight that is. That's a deadlift. And they'll know that if I look at those legs and I look at that weight, there's something that's not connecting there. There is no way I can lift that weight. But a whole bunch of people online were like, oosh, a lot of ooshes and a lot of, oh man, a lot of, wow, strongest pastor in equippers, all this stuff. Now, I did it a little bit deliberately because when I post stuff, sometimes it's a bit tongue in cheek. I'm kind of making a bit of a, a commentary on today's society. Because all we did, there was a bunch of us yesterday, a bunch of our men we met, and then we had a, a chat afterwards, and it was awesome. Who was there? Good. Okay. And so we, we did this, and then we chatted afterwards. But I, I remember saying to Chris, Pastor Chris out south, oh, that's amazing. This guy was lifting these huge weights. And I said, take a photo, take a photo. I'm going to post it. And then I'm like, you got a strength. And people are like, wow. But I'm doing it because anybody who kind of does that, like, I'm, I'm still curious as to why people post that stuff. Man, that was his selfie. Man, me at the gym. Like, what do you want me to do with that information? <laughs> oh, awesome. Like, like, good for you. Like, I don't know what you want me to do apart from like it. But when people post now, again, not, to, not a problem posting stuff about the gym, so please don't misread this. But people want to be seen. But again, you're not an eight-year-old doing a backflip on a tramp anymore. Because that's a different kind of scene. That says, look at me, look at the weights that I'm lifting. The only reason I would actually post that if I was real about posting it was because I want a whole bunch of people to go, Pastor Jake, you're so strong. I don't know how strong you were. Ah, oh, it's a little thing. Then they would have gone, but why'd you post it? Like, do you want to tell people you're strong? And so this whole scene thing is something that we've got to kind of figure our way around. So people, it kind of reflects this, this parent-child relationship or this but when we grow up, we realize actually being seen is a very different thing. So here's so social media, being seen by peers, the desire of others. We've got this kind of innate desire to be accepted and to, to have the sense of belonging. It's so important for us. And so we do it by putting stuff out there. They go, look at me. And when we do that, this is the thing I want to kind of clinch tonight. And this is the thing I want to talk about is, are we, are we looking at kind of big me, big man, or are we looking at a big God? Is it about big man, big me, or is it about big God? Because the series is not Big Jake. It's not about Big Jake or Big Sam. It's not about us. It's not about what we do here. It's about you going out on Monday, recognizing that you serve a big God, and he can do big things in your life. That's what we're trying to get across here. So let me read this verse in Luke 18. This is kind of, when I say favorite, I love this passage in Luke 18. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It says, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everybody else. Big man syndrome. 
Two went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner and not the Pharisee returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, the Pharisee was all about big man syndrome. Big man, big me. Look at me, look at what I can do. They would wear flowing robes and the bigger the kind of the tassels and things like that, the more holy they were when they walked around. It was the most ridiculous thing, the most ridiculous display of ostentatiousness. Look at me. And Jesus was always trying to point out, no, you do all these things, you tithe on mint and ruin and say all this stuff, but you, despite, you, you neglect the weightier things like loving people because that's what Jesus came to do. That's why Jesus had authority, because he, he had the same message and, the, and a similar truth, but he actually loved people as well. And they're like, hang on, this message, this thing is different. It's different from what I'm hearing. It's different from what we've heard for hundreds of years. Not convinced? There's another verse, Matthew 6. Listen to this, 6, 1 and 2. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly. Now, again, see, this is the difference with social. Social's fine. It's a great tool. In the hands of a righteous person, it can bring about great things. Just the same as money. Money's not a problem. Social media's not really the problem. The problem is what we choose to do with it and what we choose to display. So he's saying, watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. <gasps> right? For you will lose. Like, I want to end it there. Do things publicly for the adoration of big men, and you will lose. There's a fun message for a Sunday night. <laughs> You lose. You end up losing everything if, you, if you're worried about big man all the time. If you're trying to be the big man, big woman all the time, you're, you're going to lose. It says, when you give to someone need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues. I mean, the message is so evocative. Like, it's like, I'm coming in to give an offering. Pastor Sam just talks about Ukraine. It's like me getting up and saying, oh, Pastor Sam, man, I love what you've said. Jake, not right now. I'm going to give the biggest offering this church has ever given. And you don't go, What? See, no one displays it like that, but then we do things like that, and we go, oh, hang on. The big man syndrome, or is it about a big God? So being seen is not the issue. It's actually who's seeing you. It's who's seeing you. Are we imprisoned by the fear of man, and maybe not even being aware of it? Like, I spent so much of my life being insecure and worrying about whether people like me or not. I went through all my school years. I, I really kind of first encountered Jesus in my last year at high school, my first year at university. That was kind of where I, and I, I remember thinking, oh man, I wish somebody had told me about Jesus before I went to high school. I really do. Listen, if you, no one's going to be 11, 12 probably, but if you are, <laughs> tell people about Jesus. That's why we do so much in schools, because it's such a battleground, because people need to know about Jesus when they get into their high school. So are we serving big God? Or big man? If you're at home, come on, same question for you. Are you serving big God or big man? We often say things like, you know, we're a come as, come as you are church. Bless you. There's a massive sneeze. <laughs> we just got to talk about that for a second. That's the elephant in the room. That was a really big sneeze. If you're in the room, maybe you can hear that online as well. I'm not sure if the mics have picked that up. 
We will come as you are, church. Which means the great thing about it is that we don't have to fit a certain mold. We don't have to fit a certain culture, a certain age and stage. That's the best part about it. We can very much operate in who we are. In fact, God even encourages that. There are many gifts, you know, many gifts, but every joint supplies. We're all unique. We're all amazing because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made in the image of God and say so every joint supplies. And that's amazing. So you can choose to be you in here. You don't have to try and mimic somebody else. So, so that's cool. But then, but God also doesn't want you to stay the same forever. Like he wants you to keep moving and keep moving forward. That's why we talk about a big God. We don't talk about a fairly average intermediate God that keeps you where you are. Because when you understand God is big, he wants to do big things, then all of a sudden you get caught up in that. Like has anybody in this room got six million dollars? I want to just check every room that I'm in now because I'm asking the question. Because Pastor Matt and I are finding a couple lots of six million dollars around the place that we need. So I either look at 6 million, even when he emails to me, because that's the, the developments at Gladding Place where we are, is going to take about $6 million. So I'm asking every room now and every business owner, Mike Cave, what was that? Was that a hand? No. <laughs> Whether they've got six, $6 million. Because when, when Pastor Matt emailed me, we still, even between us, had a bit of a joke like, oh, well, it's only $6 million. But it's amazing how you can fall into that. Yeah. That's just big man syndrome. Oh, $6 million. How are we going to do that? We need another six million here, we need six million over there. And straight away you can default into, oh. So some of you, your family members are unsaved and you're like, oh. Whenever you hear another testimony of a family member saved and you go, why can't that be my testimony? Why can't that be my family? Why can't my son be healed or my daughter or my cousin? Like I love hearing other stories, but why can't that be my testimony? But big God says, oh, big man says, oh, no, oh. But big God is like, that's awesome. Yes, and amen to that. Can you come and pray for me? Because I need that kind of favor in my life. When I get excited about somebody else's, we had a, a girl, Rebecca, out south. For 20 years, she's prayed for her dad. And her dad comes and gets saved. And I go, man, that's about the same time I've prayed for my dad. And I got so excited because I thought, it could happen. You see, big man says, oh, man, so good for you. But what about me, God? Do you even see me? Do you even see me? I get a bit emotional at times with God. God's like, I see you, but man, celebrate her victory. And maybe as you continue to do that, I go, maybe I'll do something, but I want to see what you're like with another person's first. So listen to Mark chapter 9. I love some of these verses. Because here's the thing. He doesn't want you to stay the same, right? So, so he says, like, start with the faith that you have. Like, start with, start with what you have. I love the fact there's people, as Pastor Sam said before, I love the fact that you've come to church tonight. That's awesome. I love the fact that people who didn't register can't be here, that there's just looks like exactly 100 people in the room tonight. I love that. <laughs> right? I love that. I love the fact that we're going to have to create another service next week. Because why? Because coming back out of this thing, and we've got to get people out of their homes and all that. But we've got to start with the faith that we have. We've got to start with who we have. We've got to start with the people in the room. And so Mark chapter 9, listen to this, verse 17. It says, one of the men of the crowd spoke up and he said, Teacher, I brought you my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit. And it kind of goes on, and they brought the boy to Jesus. And Jesus is talking about, you, you kind of, you faithless people and all this sort of stuff. And this conversation goes on. And in verse 22, Mark 9, we read, The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us. And he says, and help us if you can. Right? This is saying to Jesus, if you can, like, 
I really appreciate it because this is really harrowing for my family. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. He says, anything's possible for those who believe. Now, you and I both read this, and you read this at home, and you go, ah, here we go. (laughs) Another pastor saying anything's possible. Magic bit of fairy dust for anybody who believes. Right? So this is what qualifies. Listen to this. The father instantly cried out, I do believe. He's like, I've got faith, but help me overcome my unbelief. Like, I believe. He just said, I believe, but this thing, you don't understand how harrowing it's been for me. Like, I believe. He goes, I don't want to believe in the big man thing because I know that I've been disappointed by big man before. I know that I've been disappointed by my own decisions before. He goes, I know that my family is sick and maybe I haven't dealt with everything in my life the way that I should have. Maybe I haven't made all the right things. And he's saying all this stuff, but he's like, but God, help me with that, that, that part of my humanity. Help me with that unbelief. I know you can do it, but I'm, I'm so disappointed because every time I cry out to you and it doesn't happen, I sort of, I sort of take a step back from you sometimes. And I kind of think, is it ever going to happen? I've had so many, God, I believe, but help me with my unbelief moments. And I love that Jesus loves that about me. Why? Because he's human. He even cries out to God one time. Father, Father, take this cup from me. And and God doesn't answer him a word. He knows what it's like. He knows our humanity. When people say, oh, Christianity is just a crutch. Really? There's so much humanity in these words. There's so much humanity. He understands our position. He understands exactly where you are right now. Even in this room, I know there's so much chaos. Even online, I know that you're sitting there and you're going, I I, want to believe, but help me with my unbelief. I want to believe, but I keep defaulting back to man. I keep defaulting back. It probably is not going to happen for me. So this is the picture that this guy finds himself in. It's such an honest response. And it sort of talks about this big man thing is really a scarcity thing, and the big God thing is an abundance thing. And we waver in life between the scarcity and this abundance. Scarcity thinking, oh, God, I don't know if there's enough abundance. There's overflow. There's everything. There's more than enough for everybody. So scarcity talks about big man. Why would God want to help me? Like if you caught yourself at a situation, let me just be vulnerable for a second. I had a situation a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes I make really poor decisions, just basic day-to-day decisions. Anybody like that? I just, I just don't think it through. And it was a Friday night. We had a team off-site thing out in East Auckland. And I'm the guy that thinks I can do 50 things on a Friday night in the middle of traffic, and somehow it'll all work out, and I'll get to everything on time. And I made this decision, and then I've got a wonderful wife, and sometimes, and she knows that I'm in that place of slightly stressed out, and she'll be like, she'll sit there, and sometimes she just won't say anything, she'll know, but I'll, I'll hear her in her head going, oh, I could have worked this one out so much easier. But she won't say it because she's gracious to me, and, and then I say these things to myself, the kind of things I say to myself that I wouldn't say to anybody. Jake, you're such an idiot. Poor Fee's sitting there. No, no, you're not. Oh, you're such an idiot. What is wrong with me that I keep making these same mistakes with time? Oh, you're such a moron. This is what I do to myself. I don't know if you do that. I don't know. Am I the only emotional? I think I'm the only emotional person in the building. But I just go, what's wrong? I seethe at myself because I'm like, I'm 45 years old. Have I not grown to this point where I can figure this thing out? It's a certain amount of time to get there. There'll be traffic. You've got to get there. You just simply can't do it. Somebody else could do that. But I do this to myself. I do this to myself 
all the time. And, and I say these things to myself, the self-talk to myself sometimes, I would never say to anybody else. And, and yet God in his humanity still, still loves me. He still looks at me and he goes, Jake, this, just continue to focus on me. So continue to, I, I, you'd never say that to anybody else. So why are you saying it to yourself? You're still fearfully and wonderfully made. You're still made in the image of God. And my humanity side, my kind of man side, still goes into this place sometimes. And I'm like, man, just relax. Because actually we got to the place on time. And it was just kind of my emotional state Friday night flapping around that I didn't even need to be in. And so in Romans 12, it says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He's almost saying in this verse that the, the, the abundance that we have in God, it's, it's reasonable to think that actually God has, has an abundance for you. It's reasonable to think that by the mercy of God, present yourself. You see, when we, when we have this kind of scarcity in praise, you know when the band comes out and they go, hey everyone, who's excited to be here? And there's like three people that are excited usually. And then we go, and they always think the same thing. Man, we're excited. And see, scarcity is like, uh, like it's pretty early and I haven't had my second coffee. And See, scarcity always talks about this kind of hanging back in the sense of, because that's all your flesh stuff. Abundance always talks about, yeah, man, no matter what, yeah, man, I'm into it. Like, let's do this thing. I'm here. I might as well make the best of it. God may move. Like, perhaps the Lord might act on my behalf. Perhaps he might do something amazing. And so this whole time, that's why I love our worship is because there's a consistency. Anybody who's having a bad day as a worship leader, don't be a worship leader. You don't get to have a bad day when you're leading people in worship because they'll follow your lead. We've got to realize that we're a decision point for people. And so there's a quote from a great book I read, which I can't remember the book, but I know the quote. It says, you'll treat yourself and others according to the way that you think God feels about you. You treat other people that way. So again, this whole, are we serving big man? There's a whole bunch of folly with that, or are we serving big God? So maybe the band can come up because I want to just finish off pretty quick and then I want us to pray. So the good news is this. Before we get to walk out of the doors tonight, we get to choose. Am I going to continue to live 2022 serving big man or am I going to choose to serve a big God? Am I going to choose to change my mindset? Because actually the reality is you can choose. God does give us a choice. Sometimes it's so easy to say, well, if God wants me, he comes and finds me. Why does he make me? That's for your benefit because you get to choose. God's pretty fair like that. He doesn't make you do anything. You don't have to be here in church. You've chosen to be here. So I'm like, if I've chosen to be here, let's do something with it. Like some, Sometimes it's just about continuing to choose to stand, to choose to stand. Again, I know when people come in here, we come in with all of our stuff. We come with all of our baggage and we come with all of our things. And... But I want to celebrate the fact that you're here tonight. Like, that's amazing. For some of you, it's a, it's a, it's a miracle. It's a miracle work of God that you're even in this building tonight from what you've, where you've come from, what even happened last week to you. You're here. And if you're online, you're watching when others are doing a whole bunch of other things you're here online with us. So we get to choose. You get to choose to stay where you are or you get to choose to put your life in the hands of a big God who loves you, set his son Jesus to die for you. You see, the greatest fear 
If we think about man, I always think about kind of like fear of man and fear of the things that might happen to me. I often share every time I get up on any kind of stage like this, there's always that sense of, okay, God, here we go again. And I always say, Holy Spirit, I need you. I really need you. Whenever somebody is stepping out in a big faith decision and whenever they've made the decision of faith, say they're moving towns or they're taking on a new position or something, you watch the difference in their praise. You see, so, so often we, when, when we get exhorted to praise, we don't praise or we praise maybe half-heartedly because we're actually not in a place where we really need to praise. And, when you, and I know because sometimes I'm the other side of asking people to make big decisions of faith. And when they do, you watch their praise go to another level. They never jump before. They're like, they're <laughs> on their knees. Oh, yeah, you got to break through. Why now? Because I'm really in it. Now, because I've made the decision, there's no turning back. Now, because I don't want to look like a fool. Praise lifts. So, hey, get in that place. Because when you make that decision of faith, when you step out, when you have that conversation with your friend or your colleague at uni or school, all of a sudden you're like, you know when you invite someone to church, all of a sudden church is so different. Pastor Sam gets up and he's like, hey everyone. You're like, oh, is that okay? Did you say hey everyone? Did you say hey? Does he know my friend is here? Pastor Sam, my friend's coming tonight. Just don't do anything weird. Hey, just everyone be normal. We're real normal here. You're, you're freaking out, but inside there's this adrenaline. It's like, this might be the moment that they lift their hands. But we need to be in that place. Otherwise, it's just Big Man Sunday. Rather than Big God Sunday, this could be a day that your friend, your family member encounters Jesus. The greatest fear for most people is dying. And the second one is public speaking. Right? As, the, as statistics tend to tell us, these are the two fears. Listen, you may, not get, you may not die. And a lot of you probably don't do a lot of public speaking. So that's cool. So if Jesus' death on the cross could set you free from your biggest fear... That those two things are probably not going to happen for a while, then surely insecurity, failing a test at school, feeling awkward around new people, being rejected or disappointed, surely all of those are lesser things that actually God can overcome. Surely if we serve a big God who wants to do big things, He can overcome those things, but we've got to allow Him in. We've got to allow Him to do this stuff. Let me, let me finish with this. Uh, I, love, I love Peter in the Bible. Because um, he's a bit of a buff head and he talks a lot like me, so I can relate to Peter. Because often I'll say things and then I'm like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. And Peter does the same thing. And so, so Peter's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and all of a sudden there's 11 disciples there, and Judas comes in, and everyone's like, You. And then Judas points to Jesus, he says, That's the guy. And Jesus gets taken away, and there's a kind of a kerfuffle. So in this moment, Jesus is taken away and the disciples are like, hey, we're kind of connected to this guy. We, we better take off. You see, we give Peter such a hard time because Peter's like, Peter's the one, if you remember, I think it's in Luke 22, he's the one who's following behind at a distance. And, we, and even some people say, oh, he's following behind at a distance. How long was he following? But he knew that that's where the Messiah is going. So I've got, I'm going to stick with him. And just prior to this, I think the previous chapter, Jesus says to Peter, or Peter says to Jesus, hey, if everyone abandons you, he says, surely I won't. There's no way 
that I'll abandon you. I'll be, I'll be with you to the end of the age. I'll be with you forever. And Jesus does this, and I reckon he kind of smiles, not in a smug way, but I reckon he smiles at Peter, like this loving kind of embracing smile. And he's like, oh, Peter, 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 Peter. He says, before the rooster crows, he says, you'll deny me three times. Now, I don't know whether that was pretty cutting to Peter, but Peter's like, nah, it's not gonna happen. So Peter follows Jesus. Peter goes, in Luke's account, Peter goes right into the courtyard of the high priest's house. Right into the courtyard of the high priest's house. This is the most dangerous place he can be at this moment. And Peter's there, sitting there with all of the, the guards that could lock him up because they figure out he's a Galilean. And the servant girl says, hey, isn't that one of the guys with Jesus? He's like, <laughs> scoffing at it. No, of course I'm not. Someone else, isn't it? He's a Galilean, this guy. I can hear it in his accent. No, no. No, I'm not a Galilean. I'm from down here where you, you are. He'll say something like that. He changed the accent. He's got a beard, you know, hat, glasses, and a red nose. He's like, no, it's not me. Different guy. This is not me. Third time he gets asked again. He gets even more vehement. He says, he says I don't even know the man. And we hassle Peter because we go, man, Peter, it all happened. How could you deny Christ? But no one gives an account of the other 10. Where have they gone? They're halfway to Galilee. They all scarpered, and yet Peter's the only one. He denies Christ, but he's the only one that's still there. And even at that moment, he's denying Christ. Christ is being beaten by the Pharisees and the Sadducees because he says, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. It is as you said it was. And I love that. I love that account of Peter. Because in his darkest moment, the third time he hears the rooster crow, what does it say? Peter runs out and he says he wept bitterly. Like the tears are so fierce because he realizes, man, God, I've let you down again. I continue to do my stupid things and his self-talk like mine would have been so stupid. What am I thinking? How did I ever think I wasn't going to do, I wasn't going to, and he's in such a state. And then a couple chapters later, we read in Acts chapter two, Jesus resurrected, he's gone. There's a whole bunch of people in this upper room praying and all of a sudden people are like, man, what are these guys doing? They're drunk. Some say they're this, some say they're that. And then Peter, Peter the guy who wept bitterly, Peter the guy who, who, who denied Christ, the one we all talk about to go, the big buffhead Peter. All of a sudden everyone's looking around and he's like, Peter, you've got to do something. Peter steps forward. And do you know what he says? He says this, Acts 2.14, then Peter stepped forward. And I just read this again Literally this afternoon, Peter stepped forward with the 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully. Right, this is a different Peter. This is the Peter with authority. Listen, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. And he goes on, he says, make no mistake. Like he's, he's, he's like he's saying, I made a lot of mistakes. I did a lot of dumb stuff. I said a lot of things. But all of a sudden there's a sense of, Man, Peter's using all the pain, all the hurt, all the suffering, all the weeping bitterly that he went through. And he says, make no mistake. And then he starts preaching this amazing sermon. 3,000 men and their families were saved. And the church as we know it is formed because of Peter. Here's what I want to say. Big man, it doesn't end well. You get into some real dumb places. You do some real dumb things. You get involved with some dumb people that can take you in dumb places. But God, He says, hey, I'm not going to say you're not going to go through some stuff. You're going to have moments. There's moments when you're going to weep bitterly. 
But I figured, man, if I'm going to go through some pain in my life, God, you've got to use it. You're a big God. God says, I can use everything you give me. Every bit of pain, every bit of, I can use it. I can use it. But he says, but you've got to stand. You know, when Aragorn has that moment in the end of Lord of the Rings, we march on the black gate. We march on the black gate. And everyone's like, Aragorn. Why? Because Aragorn's suddenly taken his rightful place. He now recognises who he is. He recognises the authority. He's not just straighter, the ranger. He's Aragorn, the king. He suddenly steps into his identity, his purpose. And with that, he goes, ride with me, man of the West. He says, I love his words. He says, but it is not this day. I can see the fear in you that would take the heart of me. But he says, but it's not this day. Come on, there's a, a declaration tonight. 